The information we have access to is plentiful, but what about the ways in which we access that information and engage with it? Well, today we're talking biometrics, VR, and even space exploration with a leading technologist. Welcome to episode 63 of Sideload. Hello and welcome to Sideload, the technology podcast from Edelman. I'm Jermaine Dallas and today we're discussing the future of audience experiences. So what does that mean in plain English? Well, the discussion is, it's all about the breakneck speed of tech innovation and how it's changing the way that we consume information. So it's a whistle-stop tour that includes the metaverse, Web3 experiences and much more. What you're about to hear is a conversation led by Sat Dayal, who's the Managing Director of Technology in London. Sat is speaking to Elena Cochero, who's an acclaimed technologist and Director of Emerging Tech at Dow Jones, although she's speaking to us in a personal capacity. When you think of the parallels on any technology from fire, the plane, or anything that is newly discovered, I, tend, I try to think about it um, as a child. So with any, when you're doing research on new technology, you have to think, is it a complete baby that doesn't have any freedom and it's still well looked after and it's not at such a scale that it can be dangerous? So a baby at the beginning, very little things can go wrong. Then there is a part where it has freedom to move around and then you have to like be very careful on what what might hurt himself with, <laughs> no? Um, but there is only so much we can predict on how when that technology starts scaling and you cannot control it and the companies themselves cannot control it, um, what happens, AI being an example. Um, and there is only so much we can foresee that we can protect a technology. And then there is the, the phase that I will call, sorry, uh, more on the teenage phase, and I see that with open source when technologies become free and there is all the kinds of dangers there as well. And I was also a, um, um, quite a supporter of open source until recently with, with misuse of AI. So you kind of have to think of those stages and where does regulation come in. And what happened with social media is being, being part of, um, of this attention economy and being run financially, being run by advertisement, I guess they have to tick that box on getting getting as much attention as possible. And they do, and how to how to learn from human human behavior. That's clear for for everyone. But initially, no one thought that just trying to um, how would you call it um, these algorithms that are trying to. Um, oh, I have the name here, the um, predictive algorithms to see what you want to see next. Of course, human nature, we, uh, we want to see next what we are curious about or we don't understand. We know now, the more we develop AI, that our brain are puzzle solvers. So when you are, the things that will get your attention will be especially things that you don't understand. And then that creates the epistemic bubbles or the echo chambers that are highly, highly, highly dangerous. So we need, we need uh, spaces and technologies that allow us to have 
not just diversity. I think we're doing pretty well with having diversity as a whole, but it's more on the, not that it's superficial, but on the external um, side than, um, than um, diversity of thought. Diversity of thought is still yeah. not yet there. And, and what we discuss is how my research on the future of biometrics is maybe uh, enhancing this or improving this, you know, different, different areas. Because one of my interests is we have the obvious things on the phone when people are in social media, but what we don't discuss so much is what happens with all the biometric data. And the reason for me that's important is because uh, one data you have more control of, like what you post on social media, although obviously psychologically you might be not so voluntarily controlling what you're posting, it can be quite manipulative, mm. but um, you do have control on what you post and how you post it and your selfie or anything like that. But biometric data is involuntary. So I'm looking into how that might enhance some of the issues or improve. Some. In what, in what, yeah, I think we talked about it, right? Then. Yeah. In what way do you see that? And I'm sorry, just to kind of build on that yeah. well, we, we, there was a, a piece around younger audiences in particular. Yeah. And, you know, the impact that, the, the psychological impact, the social, uh, the emotional impact that it's having. Was, uh, was there anything in that that is worth talking about now as well? Well, I think, I don't know. I mean, how does people feel around here on any, any specific cases you may know about? The, the thing we have to think about is when you analyze a technology is how it's being used, how it's being misused. And I understand misused as you don't know enough about it and you might be using it wrongly, but not, not in a malevolent way. Right. And then there is abuse. So I separate use, misuse, abuse. And I think now that all companies know the harm that is doing for their, for, for, well, young people, they're trying to understand where they belong and who they are. So the damage to the way they see themselves did, yeah, all, all of that. To me, now that we know this is a problem of how the algorithms create these echo chambers and bubbles, um, then now has passed from misuse to abuse. I see, yeah. And then, yeah, so, so talk to me a little bit more about biometrics and how that you feel that starts to address some of these problems. Yeah, so in a way, um, in a way, a thing with biometrics is that it could, it could make some of these bubbles um, worse because just by looking how much time you spend watching a video, you can make an assumption, an assumption of the interest the person has. But if you add to that the stress level, the heart rate rising, you know, you can even kind of assume even more um, if that, um, yeah, if that is something that it's going to really, really draw the attention of the person. That's on one side, but... My research goes more into how hopefully with the, what I'm calling the biometrics economy, we might be um, somehow liberated from our attention being eaten by these, um, by these uh, kind of products. I, I think I need to explain that. Yeah, please. <laughs> what I mean by that is if I was to own my own biometric data, and that's another subject because that should be decentralized and 
to be decentralized, we have to believe again in, in, in blockchain separated from crypto issues because that has like nothing to do with the actual value of a smart contracts and, and blockchain. Um, it, it's almost the opposite. Like if things were decentralized, there wouldn't be the abuse of power that we see in crypto trading. So people are mixing it up and that's giving a very bad reputation to blockchain. But let's say that there was a system where your biometric data um, is something that you could own and manage. The value of it, I think the data should be saved by very good cybersecurity companies, but you should have, you should be allowed to, to manage and, and earn from that data. Then you select if you want to give your data from when you go running to, to someone, you can do that freely and it doesn't remove your attention from doing something you actually want to do. If that, if that makes sense. So you stop from scrolling and scrolling and scrolling uh, to just sharing involuntary data of, of, of yourself. Like it or not like it, it's coming. <laughs> Talk to me about the, the, the upsides of that. Um, the upside, yeah. the good, the good yeah. thing of good that. Thing. Good yeah, stuff. well, stuff. Yeah. hopefully. I'm currently, doing, I'm currently doing research on this and writing about it. Hopefully, maybe start a podcast, I'm thinking about it. But um, interviewing people from many, many different industries, from medical industries to philosophy and the ethics, the ethics of, of this biometrics economy. Um, well, a little bit what I just mentioned um, just now, I think that hopefully if we play it well, um, it should be at our advantage because we should be rewarded for sharing that data. Is uh, It should be, people will figure out how to trick and fake things, but <laughs> initially it should be honest data. It should be transparency on how something makes you feel. Um, and it will give us that freedom. And the reason um, that for me is in, it's very important to to start this discussion publicly and maybe start this, this podcast that I've been talking about is that right now biometric data is external to our bodies so you can still shut it off. Kind of. Your phone is always like listening or looking at your face. It has a camera. Who has a smartwatch perhaps? A few people have smartwatch. Very, very useful. I mean, all of this is so useful, but, um, but again, it's external. But this is coming into prosthetics, and I consider this a prosthetic, but that's another, <laughs> another discussion. And then implants. So to me, if we don't properly discuss this subject now, when they start becoming implants, it's a little bit too late. <laughs> anyone, anyone been looking at implants at all here? No. We should talk about implants. Why are we not talking about implants? Talk to us about implants because we had a, there's a fascinating conversation with um, now. It's coming. Implants, um, okay, how are we getting there? Yeah. Um, I believe that most of the barriers about, um, let's say, disrupting our own body are already gone. Any taboos or any skills that doctors need to disrupt our bodies are gone with plastic surgery. So that's done with. Then we have our technologies, which are becoming smaller and more capable. And I don't know, some people still believe that the vaccine of um, the COVID vaccine had an actual little robot in it or something. I mean, we don't know. We will never know. Yeah. Uh, but um, <laughs> 
So that's on one side, the technologies, um, the thing is, where would you go as far as implanting in yourself? That's the question. And initially, you have to think, oh, if anything goes wrong, you have to like cut again and take So no, it's not, it's not something that we're going to jump straight at it. But what I'm saying is that a lot of the barriers are done. You have piercings, tattoos, plastic surgery, like in some, not everywhere, but in some geographies and religions and, and so on, depending on those differences, these, these are barriers that we have already passed. Just waiting for the technology and especially how to power it. So there is, there is chips that are powered with glucose and maybe those are things that, um, but it will be the technologies that are very essential and required to be in, inside and they will speak to external wearables. So imagine the divides that can be generated health-wise mm. and many more, because if you start earning from that data and so on, from people that don't have that. Yeah. And you slowly can see a very, uh, yeah, an increase on the divides, people that can afford the technology, maybe earn from the technology, have a better life because of the technology, what happens with those that don't have it. And um, I have this little theory because I follow the makers movement a lot. And actually, biometrics, in a way, is not, it's not so difficult to create with basic electronics, these kind of devices. Um, so again, it will be a matter of, um, you know, ensuring that some of these technologies are open source, ensuring that the makers' communities are, are strong. Um, and perhaps when you think who is more benefiting, perhaps those that do it by themselves, will have actually more ownership and control on what's happening with those devices and that data than the ones that purchase the device and, and are in an ecosystem. So it's yet to see where that might go, but because now with AI, we're trying to, to close it. We're trying to not make it open source for obvious reasons, and that might affect these maker economies. We're going to continue the conversation on the future of audience experiences. But first, let's hit rewind and check out this clip from the last episode of Sideload when we discussed AI and creativity. Just think of, from an artist's perspective, you think of Banksy, right? Um, Banksy is extremely popular, but how many people have copied his work? created prints of his work, created variations of his work, that doesn't mean that those variations are as valuable as a fancy original, right? It, it comes down to the individual who created it, the feeling and purpose of why it was created at the time, like that moment of time. It's, so it, it's, anyone can create an image, but that's also like, I could just go and take a screenshot of an image or take a picture of the Mona Lisa. It doesn't mean I own it. It doesn't mean that I created it, you know? So I think there's, elements there where sure it's easy for us to generate art but it still needs to have the meaning the, the story behind it the individual and um, for it to have value you're listening to sideload and today's conversation it's about the future of audience experiences. Edelman London Tech MD Sat Dial is speaking to Elena Cochero, who's the director of Emerging Tech at Dow Jones. For me, it's a lot about identity, right? In terms of um, where it's going. I think we talked about 
how some of the challenges that we've seen come, come, come back to social media is a very inward or selfie. Oh, posture. yeah. Other, other tech, not just biometrics. Other biometrics, yeah. But the, we talked about VR now. Perhaps it's a real now. Is it? It's here now, right? It's coming and uh, how that actually has a, offers a very different perspective on identity, let's say. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. This is also another of my theories. You know, I just wake up some days when, oh, what if, what if? (laughs) I'm very optimistic sometimes. Um, But um, I was trying to see like how, well, everyone, not really younger generations, myself, anyone, are very selfie-focused and, you know, you're trying to share the best of life (laughs) kind of thing. Um, But... I was thinking, uh, well, actually through work, we are looking at um, SEO and search engine optimizations and how right now, obviously, being, being a news organization, text, text-based text SEO is very important. Then you have audio um, search engine optimization. And now we're questioning visual search engine optimization because if we're going to start wearing glasses, then, hey, people need to be informed uh, contextualized to what they're looking at. In the same way, we are no longer perhaps going to be so much filming ourselves, but filming our lives. And I think, I, I find that, sorry, <laughs> that perhaps that could be a beautiful shift, perhaps if we do it well. And now, I don't know, like you guys in this room create, create these new stories. Um, Perhaps people, uh, I call it the lifey instead of the selfie. I don't know if it's going to catch on, but I have the domain already. We so. have some creatives in the room here that can come up with copywriters in the name. In the result, oh I think I got lifey.com yeah. or something like that. Oh, no. <laughs> but um, yeah, the idea, although no longer, and you see it on TikTok, no longer it's about a photograph, a still moment. It's about a, a moment, you know, a recording probably. But yeah, you imagine that people will be more sharing a life moment, an experience. We, we already see that more than everything being about the selfie. If you add biometrics to it as well, there is an element of something being very real. I actually do love VR. I'm a heavy, heavy user of VR and it did wonders for me, my, my own <laughs> mental health and, and my connection with my family, for example, um, to have VR. But it's true that we are forgetting that real life is here, is this moment. Um, I don't think we're going to stop wanting to share that with the world. The advantage of having it in glasses is that I could be fully present right now here speaking to all of you, and I could be sharing that moment without having to have a device here, there. You know, it will be a more natural integration, perhaps. There will be people that really abuse it, there will be people that get addicted to it. There is a lot of theories of how this becomes the new opium and and why would you live in a reality if these other realities, if you're making money, you, you will have games that are, there are some games already about, you know, if you have a new, how you call it, like a destroyed city and you will have to rebuild it. Actually, you, you learn through business skills of how to rebuild this this city in a way that all the energy is closed cycle like so you can have people helping grow businesses in games in VR experiences and earning money and if that reality makes them feel better than the real world so there is that's the sad part like 
it can go it can go either way Take wherever the wherever there is money involved it will go it will go there one thing on my mind just on my mind for some bizarre reason is space and yeah. what people aren't talking about space do you know people aren't talking about space people aren't talking about the fact that in the next 10 years there'll be 100,000 satellites launched into space anyone here and talking about that no this is a big deal right yeah. What's your view on 100,000 satellites being in space? And, and, our, and, and as we start, you know, think about the technologies that are going to be important for... Next generation. Yeah, you know? as we go into that, what's, yeah. Well, I think maybe coming back to the point of divides, um, something I'm hopeful for next generation, um, but parents, <laughs> any parents that might be here or... <laughs> um, is on one side is... The good thing is that kids are... Kids and technology is just like second nature. It's really impressive. But not necessarily they know how it works and they know how to speak to it. They know how to use it. So I think it's on parents' hands to make sure their kids as much as possible. In the same way that I had to learn English when I was little, if I wanted to get a life here, if I wanted to live where I was born and, and have a career, I had to learn English. It, we are in the exact same situation. If you don't learn to speak to a machine, as in... <laughs> not Alexa or, you know, as in write uh, machine code, then um, you're going to be limited. So I'm hopeful the next generation, they do love technology. They adapt very quickly to it, but we do have to make sure they know how to speak to it, tweak it, control it, <laughs> whatever it might be. And then going to space, one of the things that is interesting in is, is interesting is, as you say, um, all technologies are there, yep. right? And if we're going to have better health, we should, be, we should also be able to do these long trips, be in, um, what is it, G, zero G, and, yep. you know, anything like that. We should be able to adapt, blah, blah, blah. But what's interesting is some researchers think that one of the hardest things is going to be um, your, men, your, let's say, mental health. Sorry, yeah, yeah. yeah your, your emotional intelligence when you have to do these long trips with... Who knows what kind of community, everything you might be lacking from what you are familiar with and so on. So I think something hopeful is that now mental health is actually a big subject and it's accepted that it's something you need to train like, like you go to the gym. And so that's actually a very essential ingredient to space, space civilization, yeah. um, as important as the technologies. And I think hopefully it's it's not a taboo anymore as well. No, agreed. So, to know there is, folks, any more questions from the floor? I, I'm going to leave leave with two. What one to kind of help us think about what we should be reading next? What what what, what do you what podcast? Where I get yeah? Where do you get your some what, what's your sources? Yeah, yeah. Um, um, so let's say I have <clears throat> my favorite like quick tech updates. Medium science updates and then the really deep, deep ones. And in, in terms of podcasts, obviously podcasts allow me to to do everything else I'm doing on my day. The same that the biometrics economy is gonna allow me to do. Um, so I have the the Wall Street Journal Tech Briefing, not because I'm from the Wall Street Journal, mm -hmm. but uh, the Wall Street Journal Tech Briefing for me is great. Very short in the morning, just gives me a great update of, of what's happening. Um, then the medium is actually Babbage from The Economist. Mm. Babbage from The Economist is really, really nice because it goes 
kind of deep, not too much, but enough mm. on the most random subjects that maybe I wouldn't have come across. And this, this thing that we were talking before about epistemic bubbles and echo chambers is like, we need more things like this that, that make us understand things that we wouldn't have seek yeah. otherwise. So Babbage just always surprised me with some scientific whatever, and uh, it's amazing. And then the really, really in-depth uh, podcast I follow is, is um, Lex Friedman and um, a lot of AI there, obviously, and he's from, he's from MIT as well. But look, yeah. I'm going to say thank you. No, that. pleasure. And I and, and really appreciate you coming along and spending time with us, Lena. Thanks for listening to this episode of Sideload. Don't forget to follow the podcast on your favourite podcast player. All you need to do is search Edelman UK. And if you want to get in touch, send an email to sideload at edelman.com. Bye-bye. Bye.